0: Hello, before we get into this episode, I want to let you know about Manchester Remembers, a charity football match on the 3rd of April at Manchester City Training Ground to mark the 5th anniversary of the Manchester Arena attack in 2017. All money raised through tickets, sponsorship and auction prizes will go to five charities set up after the attack in remembrance of those who sadly lost their lives. The matches between team celebrities managed by Joe Royal and Peter Reed against a team of legends managed by Big Sam Allardyce. Roland Dransfield has been honoured to be asked to help support on this event that's being organised by Aaron Lee, who's one of the first attenders of the Manchester Arena on that night. To get your tickets, you can go to Manchester FA's website or Manchester City and your support will be really appreciated.
1: But it's amazing when you look back and it's just linking those things. Was that purely by chance? Was that coincidence? Or was, is that evidence of this thread that is playing out in all of our lives?
0: Meet Dr. Marilyn Comrie, OBE. Marilyn is a serial social entrepreneur. She's passionate about providing diverse young people with the skills they need to get the opportunities they deserve. She set up the Blair Project with her sons Niall and Blair in 2014. It's a social enterprise that trains young people in green technology through building electric go-karts. Before that, she was a successful BBC TV producer, then a leadership consultant. She has a very Mancunian trait of disrupting the status quo and she was awarded an OBE for services to women's enterprise in 2009. Marilyn's work has taken her all over the world. So, what brought her back here, and why does she believe that the world should be looking to us to lead a more green and equal future? I'm Lisa Morton, the founder of Roland Dransfield PR, and this is We Built This City. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining me on We Built This City. Oh it's a pleasure Lisa. So you're a bred Mancunian, you came here at the age of four but you were born in Northampton which is the home of motor racing which is quite serendipitous as we'll discuss but you told me you feel like you're a you're a Manc.
1: No I definitely am a Manc, I'm (laughs) Manc through and through if you were to cut me in half it would just say Manchester.
0: (laughs) And what do you think about the city has made you feel that way so connected to it?
1: I've spent time living in Birmingham, I went to university there, I spent a year or so working in London and I think being out of the city enables you to look back on Manchester and reflect on what is it that Manchester has that no other city has and I think it's the people, They're crazy sexy cool but friendly as well, you know mad for it, they come in all (laughs) shapes and sizes, they make you laugh you know, we don't take ourselves that seriously. We have a great football team as well. No, which or one? two, <laughs> Two great football teams. But, but it is just the friendliness of uh, Manchester and the people that I'm proud to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, wonderful. First of all, I've heard you say that aged only four, you knew that you put on this earth to help people and help the climate. So can you tell me about that moment when you realised that?
1: I remember I was watching a a documentary series called Disappearing Worlds and it was featuring the plight of an African tribe whose way of life was being threatened even then by climate change and globalisation. And I saw their suffering and I decided at the age of four and god knows why that I really wanted to help these people and the way that I was going to do it was by becoming a scientist coming up with a new innovation that would solve their problems and this was I was four year old living in Moss Side I've spent most of my life living in Old Trafford and Stratford but because nobody told me I couldn't do it I sailed through school. I became the first person in my family to go to grammar school. I went to Stratford Grammar School in Trafford sailed through that and went to the first person in my family to go to university so I went to Birmingham University to study chemistry because this was all part of my bigger plan about making the world a better place and solving uh, problems but when I went to university I discovered a, a passion for debating and getting involved in all aspects of university life so to cut a long story short I joined the African Caribbean Society and at the time it was run by Nigerian males and it had never had a female president. And I thought, right, I'm going to change this. And that's been a theme throughout all my life. So I galvanised a group of female students together, got them to come to a meeting and had myself voted in as president. And I've been reliably told by the university and I visit regularly that since then, and we're talking about going back to... The early 80s, they have always had a female president since then. And the guys loved it because under my presidency and the presidency of the other women who followed they always had a high concentration of females attending events. And that's what they were looking for is kind of like events where it wasn't just men, (laughs) they could meet other students as well. But at university, I discovered a love for um, current affairs. Mm. And the area of chemistry I really liked, which was Physical chemistry, which is where physics and chemistry crosses over. Back then, there weren't many jobs in physical chemistry. So it was mainly organics, which is petrols, paints, oils. And I thought, no, I don't want a career in that. So I decided to follow my passion. And following my passion, again, is another thread or a theme that follows, that plays out throughout my life. I decided that I wanted to go into journalism and I went for a job as a weather presenter on Granada which Fred Tolbert got but they said to me we think you'd be fantastic as an on-screen journalist and they suggested that I do the radio and TV journalism course at the University of uh, Central Lancashire. And I qualified out there and got my job, my first job with the BBC at Pebble Mill. So it went back to Birmingham, oh, Birmingham again. Birmingham again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's been a theme that things have happened that have steered the course of my life and goes back to, you know, what George Michael was saying about there is this red thread, I would call it a golden thread, mm. that plays out in our lives. And if we follow this it's almost like a stream of life it's like Bruce Lee said be like water and the thing about water is it flows and it flows because it's alive if the water is stagnant and still it's death so you learn to let go of the sides enjoy the ride you don't know where it's going to take you but if you enjoy every minute of it know that There is a destiny, I believe, awaiting all of us. And if you let yourself go, events will take you to that destiny, which uh, now looking back on all of this, if anybody had said to me eight years ago, I would be working in a motorsport business, I really would have told you that you'd lost your mind (laughs) and that you really did need to retrace your footsteps because nothing like that had ever crossed my mind but it's amazing when you look back and it's just linking those things was that purely by chance was that coincidence or was is that evidence of this thread that is playing out in all of our lives it sounds
0: like it doesn't it it Mm. sounds and it also sounds that as a little girl that you were very happy to go with that flow but you also had a focus didn't you did you have that drive as a young girl you always kind of focused on being curious about the next thing that was coming
1: I think it was just being curious but I would honestly say the thing that fueled me was passion it was about following my passion And the things that I cared about and things that I cared most about were people Mm. and making a difference to people. And it's about legacy for me. So I wouldn't have lived, I didn't want to live a life where it was all about me and my career and making sure that I'm all right, Jack. It was about, I, I truly do believe that a life well lived is all about knowing what your talents are applying them in the service of others and leaving behind a legacy Mm -hmm. so that your presence here has touched the lives of other people and in some small way you have made the world a better place Mm -hmm. the world that you inhabit you can't change the whole world but as long as you work hard to ensure that you improve the lives of people around you and as many people as you possibly can Mm,
0: absolutely well on the very first podcast that we did there was clint boone the dj manchester dj and he said exactly that he said you know we can't necessarily change the world but if you can concentrate on making your own corner of the world a better place you know that's what we're really here on this world to do and i totally agree um, and it's very clear from the work that you do that you have a, a bigger purpose than just the piece of work that's in front of you and, and your adventures and your endeavors are about that On they? they're actually using your resources to create more for the rest of the world
1: absolutely and I think in many ways it requires a lot of courage like I've just loved traveling and I'm happy to travel on my own so I was an honorary ambassador for the foreign office and went on a mission to Somali Somaliland and nearly ended up getting um, caught up in a terrorist bomb luckily I decided to leave a day earlier but if I hadn't have left a day earlier I would have been at the UN compound at the date the exact time and date when a bomb went off and uh, killed people there and then I spent three years going backwards and forwards to Nairobi again but on my own and people would often say as a single female aren't you scared traveling on your own but I joke and I laugh that I must have been a pirate in a past life (laughs) And recently discovered, actually, last year, I did uh, Ancestry DNA and I knew that I had Scottish ancestry, but uh, I didn't realise that my Scottish great, great, great grandfather, Peter Comrie, was a naval surgeon and he was sailing the Caribbean seas. But actually, he was a bit of a maverick. And he married a free black woman because I thought that, you know, my ancestry was about slavery. And that's why, because I was also surprised to discover that I was one third Caucasian, but both my parents are black and I knew my mum was mixed, but I didn't expect the mix to be so high. But one of the things I've learned and the more I've studied about my great 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 grandfather Peter Comrie is that I've inherited a lot of his personality (laughs) so I think it's made me aware that there is so much information trapped in our DNA that explains who we are and why we have the personalities that we do so it comes down to that nature Mm. or nurture but a lot of what I've inherited is nature is nature
0: Incredible and that fearlessness that you're talking about were are aware of that from being a young girl do you parents see that in you as well?
1: Yeah absolutely I mean my mum was so my my other two sisters are very different to me so they all went down the road of getting married and settling down and living a normal life and I was the one I, I've never married I've got three sons but I wanted to travel and, and I just have this thing about being independent. There are lots of things that I still want to see and mm-hmm. do before I'm ready to settle down, which is bizarre.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hear
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what made you decide to become an entrepreneur then? What was that trigger point? Was that something, had you always had that innate desire to create, make? Do you have a commercial head on you, would you say, when you're a journalist? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's very interesting. So I think what happened to me is that I'd had my last son, and I realised I had a very successful career at the BBC. So uh, I'd forged this reputation as being somebody that they would bring in if a project was going wrong. They would bring me in, and I would describe myself as like the Red Adair. Red <sighs> Adair put out fires, and you know, and that's what they would do. They would bring me in if there were projects that were going wrong that needed turning around. But the problem with that is it pays very well. But I had these young sons that I never got to see much of. And then I thought, no, I've really got to change my life. Because when you have that kind of reputation, people never give you the easy gig Mm. where you've got a year to make an arts program. They just give you more of the same. And so I decided I needed to change my life. And I think the pivotal points for me and still are is about creating a space that you can reflect on what's working, what isn't working, and what you should be doing differently. Mm. So I've made that a daily practice now. But at the time, I took a week out to just reflect on where to next, really. And my talent was motivating people to achieve exceptional results. So I had teams that, you know, my reputation wasn't built just on me alone. It was actually about the teams of people I worked with. But I had a magic recipe that I brought to every team that I worked with. And that was about like one of your values, bringing out the leaders in others mm. and believing in them, especially when they didn't believe in themselves. And as a result of believing in them, they, they give you 110% and that was the magic recipe. So I didn't necessarily set out to become an entrepreneur. What I set out to do was change my life. Mm. And the way to do that was by becoming an entrepreneur. And I must admit, it was possibly, that really was, I'd left behind the corporate world where things were known and I was very well known and you could plan your life for 10 years and then you become an entrepreneur and really you set out and you don't know if you're going to do well or not. And, and it was it took me nearly a year before I won the first bit of business and the first bit of business I won was through Sir Howard Bernstein at Manchester City Council right. he saw the qualities in me and gave me my first contract uh, delivering a black leadership program at Manchester City Council uh, for which uh, I'm eternally grateful and uh, and it is that thing that you need those people who are able to spot talent and Mm -hmm. I think Sir Howard was very good at that but that contract award then set me on my way and then I picked up another contract with the Birmingham Health Authority and then the Africa was calling because I've always wanted to go so this was again the four-year-old and (laughs) and I um became an honorary ambassador for the Foreign Office, discovered that they had this programme called Chevening, the Chevening Graduates Programme, where they identify high-potential people abroad and invite them to come and study for a master's uh, degree in the UK. And invariably, they go back to their own countries and become either presidents of countries or ministers or people working at the highest level in the corporate sector. Anyway, they had... 30,000 of these chevnings around the world and I thought well what are you doing to mobilize those chevnings in order to win business for uh for the UK um they were happy to fund me to deliver a program where I went to Kenya a network with 300 chevnings that they had there who were senior individuals I loved Nairobi really loved that life Uh, what I would say is I would leave the UK carrying my own bags and when I got to Nairobi, I would have a driver, somebody to pick up my bags, a cook. The lifestyle I was living there was just out of this world. The people were so friendly and amazing. And it was really easy for me as an expat to pick up work, working with uh, insurance companies, banks. And after three years of coming backwards and forwards, I decided, I said to my boys who were teenagers then, do you know what, I'm going to make the move to Nairobi. My eldest son, who was about 21 at the time, 22, I was able to take him over there. He was based there for a year. It was transformational for him. Because the the, the the thing that I think that I didn't appreciate was that here, in this country, I'm conscious that I'm a black person. When I go to Africa, I'm just a person because mm. everybody else is black. And being able to take off that baggage of what being black means and the fact that you have to work two, three, four times as hard here to prove that you're half as good, whereas in Nairobi. I was good, and I was seen as excellent. And it was it then, and it made me aware of really, I suppose, the the thing about that I have privilege when I go to Nairobi, uh, and and you see how coming from the UK, being black, opened doors, and so it was easy for me to win business.
0: You mentioned about you'd planned your whole life to move to Nairobi and your business was there, then the bomb went off and all of a sudden you were told that it wouldn't be safe for you to operate. Yeah. And then all your plans were just completely blown apart at that point with that bomb, weren't they? So tell me about that point because that was a turning point in terms of your son, Niall, who came to you with, a, with the idea.
1: Niall, was, Niall did well in his, he did a Tech in software engineering and because he did so well I paid for him to travel the world and he was he'd just turned 18 his birthday's in July and in September I waved him off and he went traveling to America New Zealand and uh, Australia and you know you think oh my god my baby's going and will he be okay and anyway so that was the September and October I had come back from Nairobi. I went off to Nairobi came back the week before terrorist bomb went off and then this siege happened for uh, it must be nearly two weeks it felt like it went on forever and you know you know that there are lots of people that you know and friends the doorman or people who worked in the Nakumat, the shopping center that were caught up in all of that and it really brought it home and And I was thinking that, okay, this was around about now, I think it was October 2013, yeah, but I'll be able to go back in the new year. So I was waiting for the green light from the British High Commission. It was safe to come back, but they just said to me, no, it's not. And now came back from his travels. But when he came back, he decided that he wanted to be an entrepreneur and that he didn't want to go to university. That was an option. And he went to work in Apple part-time to save up enough money. And he decided, right, what kind of business do I want to run? I know I want to help my younger brother, Blair, achieve his dream of Formula One success. And through helping him, I'll be able to travel because Mal has a travel bug as well as I do. (laughs) So he's inherited that. And it's that thing about through helping his brother, it would help him achieve his dream of travel and I thought well what better while I'm here twiddling my thumbs I might as well help them and apply everything that I'd learned about business mentoring and helping people to set up businesses to help them and then what happened and I partnered them because I never intended to be part of the business I was going to go back to Nairobi introduced them to a social enterprise expert and uh, somebody who'd worked at the highest level in HSBC as directors. I developed the business plan for setting up an electric motorsport hub and the Blair Project would be the centre of this. And then the person that I'd introduced him to contacted now one day and said, you're no longer a director. I've removed you from company's house, but you can carry on working in the Blair Project. The Blair project without Nile and Blair but luckily mm. we'd registered the image rights of the logo and the Blair project in Guernsey and so we were able to get the company back but that was a real because he was only 18 and I, I was just really shocked and surprised that an adult could do this to a young person and we were able to get the company back and that's when I decided I needed to be part of it mm. just to protect them and and help and support them because other people had obviously identified that we had a really good business idea Mm. and the rest as they say now is history but my god talk about hard work I have never known anything like it and I'll be honest when he decided to set up the Blair project and it's nearly eight it will be eight years in March He set out saying he wanted to make it more affordable, inclusive, diverse and sustainable green. And I thought that we would be well received Mm -hmm. because you think it's about equality, diversity. Why would people say no? Oh my God, the resistance that we encountered, people who told us to stop being ridiculous, it would never happen. And that we were accused of giving young people, especially girls, false belief that they could succeed in this arena and i remember one woman telling me i'd be better off telling young women to become teachers because the world needed more teachers what it didn't need is uh, young women becoming engineers and whatever else and it felt as if we were battling against the whole world a single parent mom and her two teenage mm. sons and you begin to doubt yourself and you think well are they right and am i wrong but Niall, my son, was just determined that he didn't want to give up and he wanted to keep going. And I remember one of our lowest points was when we the Blair project was about six months old. We took part in a what's it called? The People's Millions and it was an ITV show we were one Mm. of six projects selected to go up for the people's vote and we wanted to run a girls in motorsport project and we were up against a a project which was in Wigan from Wigan and uh, it was a swimming pool our local swimming pool actually and they wanted to run courses for uh, young people who had disabilities and we lost because the whole of the council was voting for that project. And I remember we did so much hard work to engage people and... And I said to now, shall we just give up? And, you know, I can go back to my day job. And and he said, no, mum, I want us to go forward. And I thought, I can't let my son down. I've got to go with him. And it, and liking your values, never leave the game early. Exactly. Give it your best shot. Yeah. And because I didn't want to let him down and give up on his dream, we persevered. And honestly, and at what a cost, because, uh, you know, sold my home and there were times that we had very little and you and and the thing about sacrifice and making sacrifices is like my aunt used to always say to me Marilyn what doesn't kill you makes you stronger Mm -hmm. and actually it did and it was like I'm into alchemy human alchemy and it was like a form of transformation so it was polishing you to become your brilliant best and awesome so actually, you know, when you've been in those situations where you've literally, and there were times I remember once we were down to our last two pounds and, and and then a miracle would happen. And I remember once I went to the bank, and I was thinking, Oh, my gosh, I, I think I was down to my last 10 pounds. And then I put my card in and there was 10,000 pounds in in the account and I I was my hand was trembling and I went into Lloyds Bank on King Street and said, "Oh, I think somebody's been money laundering in my account because <laughs> there shouldn't be this money there and they, I they went and had a look and they said No, it's HMRC. My accountant, when I worked in television, made me register for tax credits. And because I hadn't earned a lot of money that year, I was entitled to £10,000 refund. And they hadn't given me any advance notice. But again, all along the way, these little miracles, just when, it's like Lord of the Rings is my favourite film. And just when everything seems hopeless, Mm. And you know what, you can't go on. Then something happens that changes things for you. And again, that's the theme that we've noticed. And now we're at the stage where we just trust the universe that whatever happens, we know it's the right thing Mm. for us. And I remember we um, lost a contract in Wigan that we should have gotten. And that made us think, right, we're going to leave Wigan and move our business to the Manchester Tech Centre. And it was the best thing that Mm. ever happened to us, moving into the Tech Centre transformed our business and has led to us now we're, we're going to turn over half a million this year for the Blair project and now last year the year before last we awarded four million pounds to create a new Manchester Innovation Activities Hub which will support SMEs wanting to innovate in the net zero space but also provide training for residents living in Side Hume, Roshone, Fallofield rapidly upskill, reskill and new skill them so that they can take up technical roles within Manchester Science Park, which are well paid careers. Mm -hmm. And that was resulted from the pandemic, we thought the pandemic had decimated our Blair project and that we lost 200,000 the year 2020. And we thought we could never recover from that. But it's the fact that if you learn to go with the flow, Mm. like Bruce Lee said, understand that when things happen and they may may appear negative, I see it as the universe giving you a nudge to say it's time to change direction and this is where you need to be. And so don't resist it, just trust the process and then you find it will be okay
0: and sometimes they don't feel like a gift, do they? They feel like a big smack in the
1: face. Absolutely. The
0: and so, just tell us about the Blair Project then, and because it's just so interesting, it's so much about leveling up and providing opportunities for young people who should have those opportunities.
1: Absolutely. So, the Blair Project is a provider of motorsport STEM learning, and what I mean by that is that we target marginalized young people those are young people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds girls black asian minority ethnic young people who are underrepresented in the field of science tech and engineering careers and we use karting in the building of electric go-karts to engage them ensues them about careers working in the tech center so what they get to do is convert use petrol go-carts and turn them into fully electric e-carts what they don't know is that they're undergoing a form of stealth learning so they're learning about battery technologies they're learning about powertrain systems they're learning about data analytics but what they think they're doing is beating the other team because that's what's paramount. What you're doing is removing any phobias that they might have Mm -hmm. that somebody like me can't do this. So we work with young people with learning disabilities and we've had successes with young people who went to special schools for young people with special educational needs. One young man thought that all he would be good enough for when he left school was being a groundsman at Man United, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's hallowed turf. Mm. But as a result of learning how to do 3D printing, computer aided design, and working on the carts, he then went and did an apprenticeship in engineering and works as an engineer in the sector at the moment. So it's about giving people the opportunities to tinker. I I love tinkering. And ultimately, really what we're doing and creating is a city region of tinkerers. And actually just discovering for the first time what you're good at because I think the thing about our current education system it's become like a factory production line sausage mill where you put young people in at one end they come out the other but they don't get the opportunities to discover what is it that I'm good at so these kind of extracurricular activities or what they call enrichment activities if you can provide them to young people and they can discover that you know what I'm really good at fitting things I'm really good at I understand battery technologies I understand how to make the cart go faster whether it's corners I've discovered that I'm a really good team leader or I've discovered that I'm really good at making videos that can persuade and influence people or I've got budget financial budgetary, wizardry skills, you know, like some of the young people in areas like Moss Side, you know, I can turn a profit because they have to go out and they have to raise sponsorship money from local employers. And one of the things that we do is we partner them with retired engineers. And actually, the young people love that because some of them don't have a male figure in their life. And predominantly, these individuals are male. And the So you find that the retired engineers love giving back to young people, but the young people love their time and the, the time that this adult is giving them because often they don't have adults who are giving them time. So they literally lap it up. So it's great to see create something that allows different generations to come together but what we do is we then don't just deliver an activity it's about progressing those young people into taking up discovering their talent like tech and helping them to find opportunities either as apprentices um, to go into their first job or help them to study so that they can go to university but it is talent discovery but creating those progression pathways and i think with our new manchester innovation activities hub what we're now able to do is to work with young people from as young as 11 Mm -hmm. take them through our programs maintain their interest but also progress them through to employment so it's that whole we can now offer that schools to employment pipeline and that's something that we're really proud of
0: I love the fact that it's not intimidating anyway, is it? As you say, the tinkering and the actually learning and and seeing what they're good at and what they're enjoying as they go. If you actually said some of the words you just said then in terms of what they actually finally achieve, they'd be terrified, wouldn't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what we're going to do is we're going to roll out our Proto-EV STEM challenge to London and Birmingham next year, which was our intention in mm-hmm. 2020. Um, we're calling it kind of like Formula One meets Pimp My Ride so they can <laughs> design the bodywork of the go-kart, make it look like the Batmobile, but will it be a winner? But, but they're learning about aerodynamics through having fun with the design of the bodywork and just seeing is it the fastest? discard but then creating this learning community amongst the teams where they're saying how did you overcome that problem and they're doing problem solving sharing this knowledge but developing their communication skills as well because that's the area that we find that they need most help on Mm. so we've recently started delivering this program for adults unemployed adults and one of them was uh, a chef who came to do our program and we thought oh my god a chef might struggle because this is technical, but actually, he turned out to be the best engineer, natural born engineer I have ever met. I think being a chef, he's good with exactly, his hands, yeah. but he left school at 14. He was neat, got into trouble, and because he had no qualifications, he was then stuck in uh, low paid work, working within the restaurant sector, came to do our course, and He is now doing an apprenticeship engineering degree, but his biggest, incredibly bright. His biggest challenge was his fear of public speaking, his fear of communicating, because his belief was he's not quite good enough. So now we've got him delivering training to other unemployed people and his name's Kevin and he's come on leaps and bounds and we know that Kevin is going to be poached from us give it another five years time and he will be one of the UK's leading engineers but how many other Kevins are out there that's incredible Mm. that is incredible that's a massive legacy isn't it right there it is amazing
0: And obviously, major triumph, as you said before, you've got the £4 million funding and you're going to be moving. So at the moment, we're, we're sitting here in this fantastic building. It's Bruntwood SciTech, mm. Manchester Tech Centre, and you're going to be moving to the Science Park.
1: That's right, into a development, a new £21 million development called The Base. Our new Manchester Innovation Activities Hub will occupy the ground floor and the mezzanine level. So 25,000 square feet of maker space, training rooms and offices. And we intend to incubate what we hope will be unicorns in the net zero space. So Made in Manchester globally important businesses that are helping to tackle climate change and hopefully some of them may be started by those young people that we will be working with and that's how you change lives by providing people with those opportunities to engage and be part of the solution that the world needs Mm. Uh, and solving the biggest challenges that society and the world humanity is facing at the moment it needs all of us to put our shoulders to the ore and work together to find these solutions
0: absolutely and manchester's disrupting again isn't it absolutely (laughs) we were the
1: birthplace of the first industrial revolution and i am absolutely committed to ensure that we will be leading the green industrial revolution and achieving what our mayor andy burnham his ambition to make manchester the equivalent of the low carbon capital of the world to challenge silicon valley and we can do it
0: Well, we've got very ambitious targets, haven't we? Is it 2038? Do you think we're going to make it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, what Manchester has, I call it the Goldilocks City. We're not too big, not too small. We have world-leading universities. Manchester University has just received £1.5 to create Innovation District Manchester over there. And that is going to be an international centre of excellence for graphene, advanced manufacturing, net zero, health innovations, the world will be coming to Manchester. And guess what? We have an airport to bring them here. Mm -hmm. So we need to all start imagining Manchester as a Silicon Valley for net zero. And we can do it because of our industrial heritage, the birthplace of the first industrial revolution, the universities we have, the great history of innovation that we also have and and just being the right size that we can create this ecosystem that makes it easier for people to innovate find the finance that they need to scale up as well so I genuinely believe that Manchester can and will do it
0: brilliant that's so positive and I think we were chatting before we started the podcast and you're talking about how much that collaborative spirit of Manchester has helped not just your business but globally recognised achievements um, that Manchester is famous for to come about.
1: Absolutely and and that's what I'm saying that's one of the unique qualities of Manchester is that we, we're we used to removing the barriers. I don't think that there is a class system here that we're all Mancunians together, mm. we're all in it together and I think that that's a thing that differentiates us from other city regions is that our ability to collaborate understand I think you know like with people like Emmeline Pankhurst is that we have people who really believe her mantra was deeds not words and I think that 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 mantra it infuses everything about Manchester we're not talkers we're mad for doing stuff that (laughs) is about change so yeah Absolutely,
0: and you and your sons have been doing a fair bit of hustling, haven't you? That's for sure. And moving that golden thread, as you were talking about before, obviously your commitment to leveling up is very clear. And aside from the work with the Blair Project, you're a principal founder of Burn, the Black United Representation Network. We're very proud at Roland Jansfield to be partners with you, and we've worked closely with Lisa Maynassam, who uh, was um, is on your board and and was your founding MD. Can you just tell me about some of the work you're doing there? Because it's interesting. You said that Sir Howard Bernstein gave you your first big contract but that was however many years was that?
1: That was back in 2004.
0: So how much progress have we seen there in terms of diversity and inclusion would you say?
1: Well I'm disappointed that we haven't done more in that area of diversity and inclusion that in many ways I had that early contract with Manchester City Council and with Birmingham and then I turned my sights to Eastern Europe and Mm. East Africa and spent was spending a lot of time over there and I just assumed that Manchester would be building on that and actually I came back here and I couldn't believe how backwards we'd gone in that short space of time and I didn't understand the reasons for it And the fact that when you looked across the city region and you saw that there were no black people or very few Asian people who were on decision-making boards. Mm -hmm. So I decided to change that. And with nine other um, black-led organisations, we formed Burn. And with the goal of removing some of those the barriers and tackling inequalities that negatively impacted on people of African heritage and Bern has three pillars and the first one is about increasing the numbers of um, black people in positions of influence and decision making and I'm delighted to say I'm the first person of African heritage heritage ever to sit on the board of the greater manchester local enterprise partnership but i really don't want to be the last and what burn is doing through a program called board apprentice is providing opportunities for uh, people of african heritage to shadow a board at a senior level like manchester university uh, manchester met at uh, the museum shadow those boards so that when opportunities arise they can apply for them and that's proving to be very successful so as a result of that we've lost our own lisa <laughs> lisa's gone on to the board and to join acacia training Uh, doubled her salary and uh, but that's great so it's created another opportunity for somebody else to come and occupy the MD position so we're currently recruiting for that the other area is about capacity building businesses so that they can work together as a consortium and win public sector contracts. Grant funding is going to become harder to come by. But the one thing that Manchester is very good at is attracting government funding. So we want to ensure we trap more of that funding so that it's spent with Manchester businesses. So this is about setting up collaboration networks for bigger SMEs to work with smaller ones and the VCSE sector to win contracts and they work on together. And the third area is international trade. So leveraging the connections that people of African heritage and Caribbean heritage here have with markets in on the African continent and in the Caribbean to win more business Mm. for UK SMEs they can open doors and that was very important for me when I was looking to uh, develop my business abroad so but the the thing about Burn is that you realize no one person can create success on our own the black community couldn't do it on our own so we needed to have to work with progressive organisations like your own, like Manchester University have taken up the growth company Mm -hmm. as well. Shout out to those who uh, are kind of like aligned with and they want to, they're genuinely committed to equality, diversity and inclusion and changing the landscape and creating a fairer, greener manchester that does work for all and that's Mm. what we're ultimately uh, geared towards it's not just about black and asian people but it's creating an environment where talent of all abilities all persuasions are able to achieve their true potential Mm.
0: Mm. and if anywhere can do that that should be manchester
1: absolutely
0: yeah, Andy Burnham is launching Operation Black Vote as well, which obviously your son Nile is going to be an ambassador for. So yeah. you know it is hopefully moving in the right direction. And I think having worked with Joanne Roney closely over the past two years, she she said when she joined as female um, CEO, that's the one area she she really felt needed to be addressed as well. So
1: absolutely, and and even Manchester City Council currently doesn't have any black or Asian people on their senior decision-making team. And Manchester City itself is 45% black and Asian. So it's actually about taking positive action and creating these opportunities where the talent is there. Mm -hmm. But how can we ensure that the talent finds out about these opportunities and mentored so that... Because ultimately, it's about ensuring that decision-making works in the interests of everyone in the city and it can't do unless everyone in the city is represented at board level. Mm,
0: Absolutely agree.
1: So Marilyn, what's
0: 2022 looking like for you as you go with the flow?
1: 2022, I'm the CEO of the Manchester Innovation Activities. It opens its door in September. The first year we will turn over six million and use the surpluses to create Uh, an innovation fund to help startups and I know that this is just the start we've been asked to roll out our MIA model into other places the Midlands into areas like Oldham and other parts of the UK so this year is going to build on that I I don't know I'm going to go with the flow but it's going to be absolutely exceptional
0: fast flow I think
1: yes (laughs)
0: So let's just do a Manchester quickfire, Marilyn. So what do you think is Manchester's best export? It's people. Mm. And describe Manchester in three words.
1: I would just say crazy, sexy, cool. (laughs) What do you order at the chippy? fish and chips that was my dad's favorite oh, meal it? yeah 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 and mine as well I'm off to uh, Duke's 92 to order fish and oh, chips yeah. absolutely and did you have a chippy in Stratford that you
0: remember the name of did you ever had a local chippy
1: oh uh, it was a golden apple oh was
0: it mm. um which Mancunians have inspired you
1: I think for me it's definitely Emmeline Pankhurst Mm. and her deeds not words and just being so courageous and standing up for what she believed in in the face of huge adversity and opposition and resistance and she really does inspire me if I can be half the woman that she was I'd be delighted.
0: (laughs) We're known as a city which disrupts so which do you feel have been the biggest movements that have impacted the shape of the city that we know now?
1: Well, I think it's the, the first industrial revolution. I think one of the other things I've discovered was how the workers here stood, and the workers in the cotton mills stood by the, work, the, the slaves on the plantations yeah. and stood up for them. So I think that's the thing about Manchester. Social justice is built into our DNA and our fabric. And, and I think that's what makes Mancunians Mancunians is this deep sense of social justice and solidarity with the workers around the world
0: true and you know what we saw that so much in the pandemic didn't we everybody was literally came together and it was about the greater good and that was so humbling to see that movement again um, over that period of time thank you so much for joining me on we built this city it's been a pleasure to talk to you and I was involved in the city of champions this year when you were inducted into the uh, hall of fame and to see the pride that your son um, had in his face he was actually made me feel quite emotional so it was lovely it's a privilege and manchester is richer for having you here and for you two helping us to build the city thank you very much
1: thank you and thank you manchester you made me
0: <laughs>
1: marilyn built this city
0: by following bruce lee's advice and going with the flow by believing that manchester can and manchester will and by enabling a city region of tinkerers We built This City will be back on the 17th of March when you'll hear from Don McGregor, the entrepreneur who set up Social Chain with Stephen Bartlett. He's now an investor having set up Fearless Adventures. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at rdprtweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built the City.